0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is the Friday broadcast, and this is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you from Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, and as I remind you every Friday, it is indeed Friday, but Sunday's coming. And Sunday is my favorite day of the week because that is the day where I get to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would love to worship with you. I want you to come check us out. We are at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. And I uh, will make you feel right at home. Just come into the double glass doors that say, welcome home. And I uh, bring your children. We have an exciting children's ministry. As I'm recording this broadcast. We are just coming off a week of Vacation Bible School, and uh, we have had a blast at Bible School, and I think uh, we had at least five people that were saved. We have our closing program this evening, and I'm so excited about what the Lord did this year at Vacation Bible School. Well, today is part two of the subject of how can I be happy or what makes me happy, and uh, we looked at the first point, reminding us that as long as it is about you— you won't be happy. Now, this is a tough lesson to learn because uh, I spend more time with me than I do anybody else, and wherever I go, there I am. I can never get away from me. But I've got to decide that it's not all about me. It doesn't revolve around me. Kind of reminds me of the Charlie Brown Christmas special where Linus says, Charlie Brown, you know, you're the only person that I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. And so we spent some time yesterday talking about uh, happiness is not going to be found if it's all about me. And uh, we talked about what you can do to acquire some things and happiness in your life. We talked about the top five careers that provide a level of happiness. We talked about the second point, and don't miss the second point. Happiness is found when you serve. You can serve your way to happiness. You can't acquire your way to happiness. You can't consume to make yourself happy. You can't even exercise your way to happiness, but you can serve your way to happiness. And I quoted that Chinese saying that goes like this. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody out. So we want to challenge you today to be involved in helping other people out. There's so many benefits to volunteering. It reduces depression. It reduces heart disease. It reduces drug use. It reduces stress, and even reduces unplanned pregnancy. You see, the Bible commands us in Isaiah 58 that we should help those who are in trouble, and by doing that, we're allowing our light to shine out from the darkness, and uh, we're allowing it to be a, a as bright as noon by all those that we are hanging around. You know, there's something else that volunteering does. It increases our our psychological well-being. Studies have shown that it also helps our physical health and our self-esteem, our longevity, and our quality of life. This is by design. God designed us to serve. God never meant for us to just take up space. Part of the purpose that God has is that we should serve one another. The problem is that sin has come in and selfishness is the result of our brokenness, and we tend to look inward. Sin separates us into our own little self centered world, but you can be set free. You know, when you are set free, your life changes. You are no longer a slave to the flesh. So I want to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, and I'm going to spend some time defining some words that are used in this passage. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 23. Let me read the text and then we go through and explain the words that are used, okay? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions, and envy and drunkenness and orgies and alike. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So when we look at the cycle of humanity, we discover that humanity, when it is in a right relationship with the Lord, has peace in the land. I use the book of Judges as an example. The cycle of sin is recorded over and over and over again in the book of Judges. We discover there is peace in the land as Israel is serving the Lord. Israel then does evil in the eyes of the Lord, and God punishes Israel, and then Israel becomes enslaved. Then, because of this enslavement, Israel cries out to the Lord for deliverance, and God will raise up a judge, or God will raise up a prophet, and that prophet cries out in the wilderness. Israel repents and is delivered, and then there's peace in the land once again. When we look at this cycle, we go through a similar cycle. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the acts of the flesh. And I just read that passage for you, but let's look at them one by one. Number one would be sexual immorality. That refers to all sex outside of the bonds of marriage. And when I talk about marriage, I'm talking about the biblical understanding of of what marriage is. God-defined marriage, one man, one woman, one lifetime. Matthew chapter 19 is very clear what marriage is. So sexual immorality is all sex outside of the bonds of marriage. Secondly is listed impurity. Impurity refers to dirtiness, filthiness, something that is not wholesome. It could be referring to our language, but it's more or less referring to how we are living our lifestyle living in an unwholesome manner. Debauchery. That is being excessive in our indulgence, giving in to sensual pleasure. It's a root word from which we get our word addiction. I have become addicted to pleasure. I become addicted to a substance, and that's called debauchery. Idolatry. Idolatry is anything that I put before God. Even good things can fit into this category. My wife could become an idol. My job can become an idol. My car can become an idol. My children can become an idol. Anything that I put before God is an idol. And then he lists witchcraft. Witchcraft is the practice of black magic. It's the invocation of evil spirits. It's arousal of the evil spirits, praying and crying out to evil spirits. We are warned that witchcraft is a sin that involves rebellion. Witchcraft is as a sin of rebellion. In other words, we are rejecting God. In our rebellion, we are invocating and inviting evil spirits. We're saying, no to the Spirit of God, and in doing so, we're inviting evil spirits to come. Hatred. Hatred is an intense dislike that wishes evil to come upon somebody. When I hate somebody, I hope that something terrible happens to them. Discord. Discord is referring to the vision within the body of Christ. It is going and leading others to a contrary direction of the church. Oftentimes, this is done through gossip. So the Bible is very adamant about condemning discord. Don't sow discord among the brethren. If the church is going a particular direction and uh, and it's not contrary to God's word, then you go along with that direction. Jealousy, jealousy is wanting. Or coveting something or someone that does not belong to you. When I think about jealousy, I think about these thoughts or these feelings of insecurity when I compare myself to somebody else. I want what they want, whether it be the praise of somebody or I want what they own. Uh, Maybe I'm jealous that I don't have as as nice a car as somebody else has, or I'm jealous over the, uh, the house they live in. And so here we discover that that's really based upon an insecurity. Then Paul lists, Fits of rage. Uh, This would be this intense anger, this fury, like the rage of a sea during a storm. Fits of rage defy logic. That's when we're out of control with anger. And I think about several times in the Bible where it talks about being out of control. The Bible says that anger is not the problem. It says, In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So you can be angry without sinning. But if you're not careful, anger can turn into fits of rage. This intense anger that is out of control. And then Paul lists selfish ambition. Now, selfish ambition is the opposite of serving the needs of others. Selfish ambition is that I'm driven in life to do anything that will help me. It's all about me. There's a passage that aptly summarizes selfish ambition in James chapter 3. James says, Where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. So here James highlights a particular practice that overcomes selfish ambition, and that is peacemaking. So selfish ambition is the opposite of serving the needs of others. And then we have listed dissensions. That would be disagreements that lead to discord. I don't like you, so I'm voting against you. Even though your positions are closer to what I believe, I'm going to dissent. So dissensions are making a statement, right? And it leads to what we've already talked about, this discord or this division within the church. Factions is the next word that is listed. A faction is a small, organized group within a larger one, and they're causing a schism, oftentimes within an organization or within a church. And then we have envy. Envy is that resentful longing aroused by somebody else's possessions or or qualities or good fortunes. I wish I had what somebody else has. I want their possessions. And then we have drunkenness. This is the state of being controlled by any substance, whether it be alcohol or or any kind of substance. And then orgies. Orgy is a sex party where guests freely engage in open and unrestrained Sexual activity or group sex. All these things talk about our lives before Christ and how we are encouraged to never go back into that old lifestyle. We've discovered that by investing in others, I can help block the way for them to go back into that lifestyle. I can also help them to live a way of happiness. You see, the value of a life is always measured by how much we give away. You see, when scientists were tracking the the health of 268 Harvard sophomores way back in 1938 during the Great Depression, they hoped that the study would reveal some clues leading to healthy and happy lives. They got more than they wanted. After following these surviving men for nearly 80 years, as part of this study, the Harvard Study of Adult Development one of the world's longest studies on adult life, researchers have collected a whole bunch of data on their physical and their mental health. Of the original Harvard students that they recruited as part of this grant study, 19 were only alive in their mid-90s. Among the original recruits, uh, there was an eventual person in there that we know very well. In that particular group study was the eventual president, John F. Kennedy. A longtime Washington Post editor, Ben Bradley, was also in that. Women weren't in the original study because at that time, the college was still all male. In addition, the scientists eventually expanded their research to include the offspring, who now number in about 1,300, and this offspring is now in their 50s and their 60s, and they wanted to find out how early life experiences affected the health and the aging over time. Now, some of these participants went on to become very successful in business. They were doctors, and they were lawyers, and and others ended up uh, being alcoholics, and some even ended up being schizophrenic, but not on any particular inevitable tracks. Now, as they were doing these interviews, the decades to follow, the control groups have expanded. In the 1970s, 456 Boston inner-city residents were enlisted as part of this study. Forty of them were still alive more than a decade later, and researchers have begun to include wives in this grant and others as they expanded the study. Well, over the years, the researchers have studied these participants in their health trajectories and in their broader lives, including their failures and their successes in careers and marriages. And the findings have produced startling lessons, not only for researchers, but for us. The surprising finding is that our relationships of how happy we are and our relationships has powerful influence over health. In other words, the better our relationships are, the happier we are. The better our relationships are, the healthier we are. The director of this study, a psychiatrist of the Massachusetts General Hospital, said this, taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care, too, that I think is a revelation. So what do we learn? If you really want to be happy, you don't isolate yourself from people. If you want to be healthy, you must involve your life in serving others. You see, taking care of the body is important, but tending to your relationships is an undeniable form of self-care. This produces a great level of happiness. Now, this is contrary to our selfish desires, to invest in relationships that produce something in return. As I think about those who are listening to me on this broadcast, it's Friday afternoon, you're exhausted, you've been working hard all week, and you're thinking, well, the weekend's here. What should I do with my weekend? Why don't you etch out some time this weekend to be a blessing to somebody else, to invest your life in helping and volunteering Go to church. Churches are always looking for volunteers. It seems like we never have enough volunteers at Hickory Ridge Community Church. When people come to our church, we say we expect every member to be a minister, serving the Lord somewhere, somehow in this ministry. What do you think about your life? You only have one life to live, it's so soon going to be gone. I've discovered something else about being involved in others it is very good for your mental health. When we look at mental health issues, there are basically three responses to mental illness. Some will believe that mental illness is demonic in origin, and so that the antidote is to cast out demons that are causing it. Now, there may be an element of truth to that. I believe that demons can possess people. I don't believe that a demon can possess a believer. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no way light and darkness can be in that same person. Now, you may be oppressed by a demon as a believer, but you're not going to be possessed by a demon. And so, some would say that, that mental illness is demonic in origin. Others would say that mental illness is, is psychobabble. And they would say there's no such thing as a, a mental disorder. All so-called mental illness are just sinful behaviors. So, the antidote is for that person to repent and to get right with God. Others would say mental illness is a physiological disorder. You know, the brain is a physical organ, just like the heart and the thyroid and the joints, et cetera. And so when you look at panic attacks or bipolar disorders or schizophrenia or chronic depression or even ADHD, uh, they have a chemical imbalance in the brain, not dissimilar to the hypothyroidism of high blood pressure or arthritis. Now, as we look at this, I think this is kind of a simplistic way of looking at it. But I look at how God created us. God created body, soul, and spirit. Paul said to the Thessalonian believers, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify through you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. Then Paul says this in Hebrews 4.12, The word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the hearts. So here these two passages deal with the body, the soul, and the spirit. When we think about mental illness, there are some really good definitions that are given out there. But mental illness refers to a wide range of mental health conditions, various disorders that affect your mood, your thinking, and your behavior. You know, examples of mental illness include depression, anxiety disorders, eating disorders, addictive behaviors. Now, many people have mental health concerns from time to time, but a mental health concerns becomes a, a mental illness when there's ongoing signs and symptoms that cause this frequent stress and affects your ability to function. So we can say that a mental illness can make you miserable and cause problems in your daily life. As your work relationships, and and in most cases, symptoms can be managed with a combination of medications and counseling. When we think about mental illness, that's the definition that's given to us by the Mayo Clinic. There's some signs and some symptoms. The signs of mental illness can vary depending on the particular disorders and the different circumstances that are facing that person. Mental illness symptoms can affect emotions and thoughts and behaviors. And so here's some signs and some symptoms, feeling sad or feeling down, Uh, confused thinking or reduced ability to concentrate on things, excessive fears or worries or extreme feelings of guilt, extreme mood changes, highs and then lows, withdrawals from friends and activities, Uh, significant tiredness, low energy and problem sleeping. For some people, it shows up as detachment from reality. Uh, filled with paranoia, uh, this inability to cope with daily problems and stress, trouble understanding and relating to situations and to people. And oftentimes mental illness is followed with alcohol and drug abuse. Oftentimes it affects our eating habits with major changes where we are are not eating or binge eating. Even our sex drive changes when we are, are dealing with mental health issues. Those who battle mental health issues often have Excessive anger, and then they have hostility that leads to violence. And those who go untreated can often have suicidal thoughts. You see, sometimes symptoms of mental disorders appear as a physical problem, such as a stomach pain, or a back pain, or a a headache, or other unexplained aches and pains. If you are experiencing these symptoms, I would highly recommend that you go to a doctor, allow him to do a complete exam of you. See your primary care provider first, and then they can refer you out to a a doctor that can help you. If you're having suicidal thoughts, or if you know somebody that's having suicide thoughts, I would encourage you to call 911 immediately. Uh, There's also a suicide hotline number. In the United States, the the National Suicide Prevention hotline number is 800-273-TALK, and that would be 800-273-8255. And there'll be a trained counselor that will pick up that line. And for that that same number you can use, when you pick up on that line, if you're a veteran and you're in crisis, you just press 1, and that will give you the Veterans Crisis Hotline. And I know we have a lot of veterans here in the Greater Hampton Roads area. And so don't be afraid to reach out uh, to these phone numbers, to reach out to your doctor, and, and don't, don't be afraid to reach out to a close friend. Some people may be leery of picking up the phone and and talking to a complete stranger. But why don't you reach out to a close friend or a loved one or or contact your pastor or some kind of a, a leader, a spiritual leader, uh, somebody who's in your faith community. Reach out to them, and they will make sure that you get the help that you need. When I think about this whole concept of mental illness, if your loved one shows signs of mental illness, be open and honest. Have a discussion with him or her about your concerns. You know, you may not be able to force somebody to get professional care, but you can offer encouragement. You can offer support. You can also help your loved one to find a a qualified mental health provider and make an appointment for that person. You may be even able to go along with them to that appointment. You may not be able to be in there with the doctor, but you can take them to that appointment. You know, if your loved one has done some self harm or is seriously considering doing so. Take that person to the hospital. Get them help and get them immediate help. Okay, so so that would be the crisis aspect of dealing with mental health that it has turned into suicidal thinking or even actions or, or threats of suicide. There's also some biblical help that is available, and that's what I want to spend the the remaining minutes of the broadcast just sharing with you from God's word some ways to help people as they navigate through the difficulties of life. Psalm 34. What a wonderful passage this is. David is writing, Psalm 34, verse 17. He says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and He delivers them out of all of their troubles. Oh, I'm so glad to report that when I'm down and when I'm discouraged, I can cry out to the Lord. He hears my prayers to Him and he will deliver me out of my troubles. The psalmist says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. David says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, and not one of them is broken. All cry out to the Lord. Here's another verse that I found that is so helpful. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead of being filled with anxiety, pray with supplications and with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then my life verse is a constant reminder to me when I'm going through the pressures of life that no temptation, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, has overtaken me, but such as is common to man, Listen, if you're feeling down today, I want you to know we all feel down from day to day, but God's faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tried beyond what you can handle. And if the pressure gets so much that you feel like you're going to collapse, God always provides a way of escape so that you can endure it. And then I'll give you one last verse, 2 Corinthians twelve nine, where Paul is crying out to the Lord. And the Lord says, Paul, I want you to know that my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more Paul says, in my weaknesses and in the power of Christ, He will rest upon me. Well thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash1890557 or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast.